<laughs> no, I think I just think I like what are what are for me some of the as I look back some of the things that I used uh, to lord power or hold power over students, right? Mm-hmm. Like grades would be one thing. Yeah. Um, homework, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you don't, then you will. Then right. this will happen to mm-hmm. you. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of reflection and collaboration as we seek to keep growing as teachers. This podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 104th episode of the Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGroat. And I'm Dave Mulder. Friends, we continue to be thankful to our friends over at the Center for the Advancement of Christian Education, also known as CASE, for their generous sponsorship of our podcast. Did you know that CASE is the home of the Teaching for Transformation framework and that over 90 schools currently in the United States have implemented it for teaching and learning? To learn more about TFT and other CASE resources, we encourage you to visit their website at www.case.org. That's www.case.org. And and see how they might support you and your school community. Friends, I also want to make you aware that this past week, the Dort Masters of Education hosted a webinar on recruiting and retaining teachers. And if you'd like a recording of that, please email us at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. In addition, in late March, early April, we'll be hosting a webinar with Dr. Owen Webb on restorative practices. We'll share more details about that when we have them, but we hope you consider joining us. We'll put a link in the show notes when we have more information. That's right. Dave and Abby, sometimes our check-ins are related to the topic at hand, and sometimes they're simply to find ways to share who we are with our hmm. listeners. Today is a little bit more of the latter, I okay, think. Okay. So this is a bit of a random check question. I don't know what question. this is going to be. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> You should be. Mm. Excellent. And bonus points for anyone who can tie in the check-in question to the topic that we're going to talk <laughs> later. So here it is. What is one fashion trend from your youth that oh you absolutely embraced? And if you're honest, you might even miss just a little bit. <laughs> Maybe you don't miss it at all. But what's one, Abigail, what is one Ooh. fashion trend from your youth teenage years? Early 20s, not that long ago. Okay. I'm going to go with, so I was very much like a late 90s, early 2000s. Thank you for reminding us. Baby, right? So that was the high school era that I was in. If you you all probably can do the math and know how old I am then. Um, But I'm going to go with, like, I really loved my Doc Martens and, like, my rugby shirts with the rubber buttons. (laughs) That's right. And the, right? Rugby shirts. Yes. Yes. And my sister and I and sometimes my friends will look back at our pictures of when we were in high school and we were these tiny little things with these huge clothes. Yeah, like, right. why yeah. on earth did we buy everything in an extra large yeah. when we weighed like 98 pounds? Right. Yeah. And so I kind of like a baggy shirt now, Amazing. too. So I'm wow. I'm like on trend, but I really loved my Doc Martens and my little, my rugby that's great. Shirts. Friends, yeah. if we can somehow get a photo of Abby mm. from the early Nobody 90s. Nobody do it. I know who rugby. you are. You will not <laughs> share. Please send it hallwaycombospot at gmail.com. That's, right. that's, that's right. hallwaycombospot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope my sister doesn't listen to this. Uh, 
<laughs> so as soon as you said that, I'm thinking back to, I, I love that the 90s are back, baby, because yeah. there's yeah. that whole thing. And so like my go-to look when I think about high school and college, it was I was wearing flannel all the time. And yeah. not that I was so grunge, but like... I aspired to be, and yeah. and I'm back. I'm back wearing flannels all the time yeah. again. Yeah, I love it. It's been great. But love the flannel. That's right. <laughs> Cannot get enough of the flannel. He I has some on right now, yeah. actually. <laughs> flannels every day from basically October to March, um, which is about winter in Iowa. Yeah. I would say um, mullet. Oh, mm. That's that's right. Two years. Stop it! You're not going to like aspire to the mullet. Two. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Test me. The youngest child comes out every time Abby oh. talks to me. It's just like, I want to do the opposite. Uh, two earrings, um, at times rolled up pants. Oh, yeah. Miami Vice neon colors, so you can figure out how mm. old yeah. I am. I was there, too. Um, I remember those. And do you remember? I remember going through, I don't even know what they're called, but the... You know, like the little biker hats with the flipped oh, yeah. up front? I had a couple of those, oh, like little yeah. biker, almost like little painter hats or something. I don't know. I went through a... It was a look. It, right? it was a look. <laughs> and I was just had all these random Speaking looks. of photographs. Yeah, that would... Wow. The mullet. Hockey hair is what we called it in okay. Canada. So there are, there are kids with mullets again. I know, and I am so jealous. I'm just like, <laughs> that looks so good. I want to take that head of hair and just, like, put it on my head and go skate around the ice coming out of the back of my helmet. Oh, that is marvelous. That would be amazing. That's not nothing. <laughs> Definitely not nothing. Dave, I think you have the, uh, I think yeah, you have the topic at I hand, do. so we're going to make a bit of a, a, bit of a hard right <laughs> turn here. As well, I, let's see. As I try to get the image of, of Doc Martens and extra large rugby mm-hmm. shirts no, out of I my head. I had, like, so. the sandals and the shoes. Oh, Anyone wow, else remember yeah. the sandals, too, oh. the leather ones mm-hmm. with the straps? Yeah. I had the, the blue and white striped rugby oh, shirt yeah. as the one. Yeah. They were usually, like, color multi yeah, yeah. color yeah. blocks. Yeah, it's good stuff. Wow. So preppy. I'm gonna try to recover. I'm gonna to try to recover from seeing those things in my head. Dave, why don't you help us out here? Uh, so I've been thinking, um, and, and I don't really know what to attribute this to exactly, but I've been thinking lately about the nature of power in the classroom, hmm. and maybe I'm trying to make a connection to uh, our apparel choices and power. And I got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, the rugby <laughs> shirt is a pretty is a power move. move. It's a power move. But I'm holding in my hand here one of my favorite books. I know you both have read this one too on Christian mm-hmm. teaching, practicing. Faith in the Classroom by David I. Smith. So good. And yeah, I, I've read this book at least half a dozen times, and every time I reread it, I find something new and, and mm-hmm. something that just captures my imagination all over again. Um, and in his chapter on, it's titled Designing Space and Time, and he talks about all kinds of aspects of how we use space in classrooms and how we use time in, in our teaching practice. But he has a bit in here that raises my question about power, I think. And I'd just like to read a section of it to you, and, and then we'll mm-hmm. think out loud maybe a little bit about the nature of power in the classroom. So this is from page 117 of the book. Um, and he's talking about, yeah, the nature of how power exhibits in spaces in which we teach. And here's a bit I'll read. In his nuanced account of his ethnographic research at an urban Catholic junior high school, Peter McLaren describes the point at which he began to speculate that every teacher has a power spot. He describes the power spot as the place in the classroom to which the teacher tended to retreat when he or she felt threatened or unsure. 
This position represented their authority in some way and reinforced their feeling of being in charge. The actual location varied from teacher to teacher. It might be behind the lectern or beside a desk or out in front of the class, but they all seemed to have one. Moreover, their power spot seemed to become a feature of the space in which they taught. McLaren noticed that when teachers exchanged classes, they would tend to go to the power spot of the teacher whose class they'd taken over. That's fascinating. Isn't that interesting? That is so fascinating. Yeah. Oh, here, it gets better. One day, a teacher asked McLaren to briefly take over his class while he was busy preparing a projector in another room. McLaren found himself in charge, and he describes what ensued. So here's the story. I wandered around the room watching the kids do their seat work. And as soon as I approached the teacher's power spot, the noise began to dim. But when I actually entered the power spot, one of the kids shot up his hand. Are you the teacher now? Well, not exactly, I said, because I want to know if I can get a drink. Sure, go ahead. Wow. <laughs> right? And so because he's in the spot, suddenly he is viewed as having the teacher's power and authority. And all of this just gets me thinking about, like, what... What is power in the classroom? What's the nature of power in the classroom? Who has power in the classroom? Because sometimes I think it's the teacher, and sometimes I think it's the students, and sometimes it's somewhere in between. Yeah, I've seen both. Um, well, right. Yeah. And so I guess mm-hmm. that's just where I'd like us to start. Like, what does what power look like in classrooms, and why should we care about this, mm-hmm. I guess? Oh. Hmm. Thoughts, Abby? What's, what's rolling through your, your mind or is your, either in your work now or even as you yeah. think back at your time as a high school English teacher? Yeah, I think um, I think the more, like, thinking about power spots mm-hmm. and the need to almost exert or when you're feeling uncertain and exerting power, I think as a young teacher, like, I taught 18-year-olds as a 22-year-old. Oh, right. Yeah. And there were definitely times where I know I had to resort to, like, a spot or a or an office, right, where where I needed to, I felt like, assert power mm-hmm. in ways that I didn't have it naturally, right? So, yeah, yeah. like, almost against students. And I think as I had more experience and had more natural clout or respect or... Mm-hmm. Like authority you with established them, yourself right? Differently. As I knew more things, as I mm-hmm. interacted differently, I think my need to exert power lessened. Right, yeah. the more that I actually yeah. had it naturally, but I think mm-hmm. I did have to, or thought I had to, or tried to mm-hmm. exert it through like artificial or. You know, I don't know artificial ways, but had to exert it when I was a younger teacher. That that idea of power is something you exert, right? Like as if this is the club that I can wield in some Mm -hmm. way. So what? what And it never really worked that well either, which is interesting, right? It was. It's way better once I chilled out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I just think I like what are what are for me some of the as I look back some of the things that I used. Uh, to lord power or hold power over students, right? Mm-hmm. Like grades would be one thing. Yeah. Um, homework, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you don't, then you will. Then right. this will happen to mm-hmm. you. Um, even what did I experience it as a student, right? A name mm-hmm. on the board, mm-hmm. a check mark, mm-hmm. a check mark, and and that's I'm not, I don't even mean to be critical of of those teachers and maybe they weren't even thinking of power but as i look back at it now it's like wow like my my recess is in your hands mm-hmm. like you have control mm-hmm. and and it's not to suggest that teachers shouldn't have control and there needs to be yeah, a level like, right. like a, of authority of authority right mm-hmm. but it but there were times now even that i look back 40 years later that i'd say mm-hmm. 
Oh, that... It, maybe what I'm thinking about is, like, my own response. Why did, some, for some teachers, could I respond to their... Because I think yeah. it was they, they held authority, mm-hmm. and I was respectful of that. But when it was felt like power, mm-hmm. I really wanted to push push back again. Yeah. So, like, yeah. who do you... And, and like I said, I know myself. I tend to be like that. I'm a youngest child. Like, I get that. <laughs> I, but there was a sense of, like... Like who do you, like who do you think who do you think you are that you yeah. can do that and of course the answer was they thought they were the teacher right well and but I think there's some sense of back and forth right so if I think of myself as a young female teacher yeah. with especially like teenage boys oh, yeah. right like the more that they would push back the more you push yeah. forward right yeah. so it becomes like a cycle right. that, yeah. that eventually you, you have trouble breaking yeah out and of. I think and I think when you're when you're younger at least case okay, not when you when I was younger. Right. I felt like it was so elusive. Like it could, like they could just get oh, up and yes. walk out mm-hmm. at any time. And what, like, I even get this question. And what then? Yeah, right. And you get this yeah. question even in a class, like, what would you do if? Right. Right. And it's like, what if they all? What if someone just gets up and leaves? Or what if they? <laughs> what if they? What if they say? What if? What if you ask them to be quiet and they say, "I'm not going to be quiet." What would you do? Like, I right. get that, right? And, and all of those things are very real possibilities. Those are very real possibilities. <laughs> right? To that point. So tell my story uh, you say what happens if the kids get out of their seat? like I've asked that question of, of our yeah. students future teachers right. like what power do you actually have if like suddenly you got 25 middle schoolers and they just stood up and walked out the door like literally what are you going to do to stop them right okay well so I had this happen to me one time not quite like that but here's the story uh, one of my colleagues I found out later had used me as the definition of the word whimsical which I just as, that. as we still do. <laughs> Thank you. I think. The shoe fits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So she had challenged them, and I found all this out later on. Um, but here, here's the story. So she, they had her English class in the morning, and then they were coming to my science class in the afternoon uh, after lunch. And they had worked this all out ahead of time. And, you know, sometimes when the kids come in to your room, you can just tell something's going mm-hmm. on. And I'm thinking, like, something happened over a recess. Like, what's going on? They're just kind of, there's electricity. Yeah. And they all sat down, and I was like, okay, whatever. And I went on with my lesson. Well, they had a prearranged time that at some point in the lesson, someone was going to get out of their seat and just start. And they, like, they planned this, right? So it wasn't like the knothead kid who was going to, like, I'm going to sit down and get back to work, right? It was like the sweetest, most demure mm-hmm. little girl. And you could tell, like, she was nervous about that. Okay. She got up out of her seat and just laid down on the floor. And I'm looking like, is she okay? What's going on? And out of the corner of my eye, I see somebody else get out of their seat and lay on the floor. And pretty soon somebody else and somebody else. And like half the kids are laying on the floor. And I'm looking around the room like, here's all these middle schoolers laying on the floor. So I just laid down on the floor with them. And the class died. Like they fall apart. They're just laughing. She said you would get up and lay on the floor with us. I was like, what is happening here? And I figured out it was a setup, right? Sure. Um, But, okay, if that had been my first year of teaching, it's a whole it different would have been story. A completely different yeah. scenario. And here I've been yeah. teaching for like ten years, and I was pretty confident in my own pedagogy, and I had a good relationship with the student, and that particular group for sure too. Yeah. Like we had a good working relationship, and so we could laugh. And in retrospect, I'm thinking about this in terms of power. Like I laid down some power <laughs> in that mm-hmm. moment yeah. for me. Literally, down, like Literally. yes, actually getting on yeah. the floor with them. But I would argue I actually became more authoritative maybe yeah. is the right way of saying yeah. it mm-hmm. because of that right I was yeah. able to mm-hmm. now I could say that like you can't tell a first year teacher that right like that that's not what they need no. in that moment 
but the wisdom of experience, yeah. I think we do grow in this, right? right? And, and I don't know that there is any way to take a first-year teacher and to bestow that on them. No, no. Right? right. Like, you, you just have to... You just have to be a first-year teacher, yeah, and right. do and the best the, you can, yeah. and get and grow. And that's yeah. the challenge, though. I yeah. think of this whole thing, right? Because I sometimes think of it in a, in a place like Dort. We talk about office consciousness, right? Yeah. Like that, not my physical space that's the office, but like the role I inhabit, my office yeah. as a teacher. And we have authority associated with the office, mm-hmm. right? And the office of a student has its own rights and responsibilities, mm-hmm. and the office of a parent. Like we have these different roles that we play, and so there is a kind of authority responsibility, Mm -hmm. rights that we have because of that, but we can wield the power that comes with it Mm -hmm. in unhealthy ways. And in different ways, right? Yeah. 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 It just, like, it makes me also, like, I don't want to, like, a teacher does have power, though, right? Like, is that right? I think so. And I think, I think, it, it reminds me, I'm thinking even as a, as a principal in British Columbia, um, I had an amazing superintendent, Dave Lowen. So much respect for him. But I was, and not because not even necessarily because of anything he did, but I was keenly aware that he was my boss. Mm. He did have power to influence my my job, the yeah. work I did. Where, right. like He did have that. and And I think what what gave him authority is that he stewarded that power well. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's the part for me I had to learn when I started teaching in Montana years ago. I had this power. I was 22 years old. What do I do with it? How do I do this mm-hmm. well, right? And I think like you say like you after years, you know, you can you you dare in a, to take the risk of laying on the floor. That's right. You dare, like mm-hmm. like it could, this could totally blow up, but right. it will be okay. Right. But in my first or second year, if I take that risk and oh, it yeah. doesn't go well, I feel like I'm going to lose them forever. Right. Like then that's totally. the end. Then what do I do? Mm-hmm. And and that's the part that it's like you're always. I think teaching is risk taking. But the risks feel so much greater when you first start. And I think that's why, without even knowing it, you cling to power. Mm -hmm. Because it's a a way of protecting yourself. That if things go wrong, at least I have... I can grab the reins. I can grab grab the reins. Yeah, yeah. And so then it's interesting that, Hmm. that... as you learn to, and it's not to say first and second year teachers don't steward it well. Mm-hmm. It's more like I think we're you're learning how to That's right. you're learning how yeah. to steward it. And I think as you, at least in my mind, at least for me, I think as I learn to steward it better with experience, I stop thinking about power, and it was just in some in beautiful ways authority. I didn't have to take it. It's given mm-hmm. to you. Whereas I think right. power you're taking mm-hmm. Right. and authority is something gi- is something yeah. given. And and I think maybe that, and I think it's maybe because all of a sudden you're just more confident of who you are. Mistakes don't matter. Mm. I'll do better next time. Yeah. But everything is on can, the line in your yeah. first shift, second year. And you realize year. you can admit mistakes. Yeah. And well, that actually right. gives you more authority yeah. mm-hmm. than if you you know, versus thinking you have to mask them. Oh, because there's so much to hide right, otherwise, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This just has me thinking, too, about the, the role of students and, and their own agency, because I think students do have power in, in the classroom, too, but they don't necessarily always know how to handle that, 
right? Right. Yeah. And and so that puts a burden on us as the yeah. teacher too to like in in what ways should we be yeah. empowering students and in what ways do we need to kind of quell that sometimes? Yeah. And right? I think they almost like if they sense insecure authority, they tend Oh, that's when they're going to step yeah. into it. Correct, right? because yeah. somebody needs to. Right. Yeah. right. Right? And so that's when you have situations. Yeah. Like cuz I've seen students who are in control of a classroom. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that exists. early in my teaching oh, career, that I had absolutely. that experience where yeah. I was just trying to corral what was yeah. happening in the room because the kids had way more yeah. power no, than I did. I, I, I remember uh, an experienced teacher telling me once, and I don't think they were being cynical, but just like a good word from that student, a good word on the playground from that student about you will go a long way. Now, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how I feel. I just remember being told that. Mm-hmm. I remember like... Like, but even then, just knowing that that student now has some power because what am I doing to get that good word? What am I doing yeah. um, because of their, because of the currency they they have? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, I, I share a quote um, in one of my grad ed classes, Haim uh, uh, Gino, Genote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says, I've come to a frightening conclusion that I'm the decisive element in the classroom. It's my personal approach that creates the climate. It's my daily mood that makes mm-hmm. the weather as a teacher, I possess a tremendous power, so he uses the word, to make a child's life miserable or joyous. Yeah. I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. I can humiliate or heal. In all situations, it's my response laying on the floor mm-hmm. that decides whether a crisis will be escalated or de-escalated yeah. and a child humanized or de- dehumanized. And I think as, as we're talking and I read that, right, I think, I think in that, Dave, you made, your, you made yourself more human, yes. right? Yes, I think that's, that's right. Part of, I think that's part of it. And I think not that, I think not that you know, teachers hopefully, you know, aren't, aren't humiliating her, but I think it is really the mm-hmm. response that there's a freedom and like a freedom mm-hmm. to be yourself, right? Like, Dave, you talk a lot about this idea of like we teach who we are. Yeah. And I don't, for me, it took me a long time to figure out who I was in yeah. the classroom. And once once I sort of settled on that or was comfortable in my own skin, I think then, the like I said, the authority the authority was, was given. But it really is, I think the power comes from this, this realization that you're the decisive element in That's the classroom. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's true. And yet, what if I think like when you're younger, you're like, but what if what if someone else takes that from me? Right. Then then right. what am I left with? So, just a yeah. thought. Yeah, and I think too when we think about power that students can have and own, I think not necessarily power for the room, but also they can share responsibility mm-hmm. for their own actions too. I teach oh, yeah. um, a book in our applied ed psych class called Hacking School Discipline, which kind of ties into your restorative justice webinar you talked about at the beginning of the show, Matt. And um, I'm just going to read a quick excerpt of this, too, about giving students responsibility for, instead of just punishing, which actually, like, it gives them a consequence, but it doesn't make them take responsibility. Right. For what they've done to, to consider another approach to according, like, for disbehavior 
or misbehavior. So here's what it says. It says, restorative justice takes situations that otherwise might result in a student being removed from class and instead presents ways to teach that student how to repair the harm that was done and continue mm-hmm. forward. This method creates an atmosphere of communication and collaboration around student issues. Every day is a new chance to connect with your most difficult students. Mm-hmm. They are used to people giving up on them and even blaming them when things go wrong. While it is important to hold students accountable, it is even more important to find their root cause of those difficult behaviors and address them. Yeah. And then hold students accountable for yeah. restoring them. And yeah. I think that that is what... Christian teachers ought to be doing oh, absolutely with not. misbehavior in their no. classroom, right? Punishment, like I'm not saying don't hold them accountable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there shouldn't but the consequence should be repairing right. the right. harm that happened here, right? It, it should lead toward reconciliation yeah. and restoration mm-hmm. yeah. rather than removing you yeah. and from the learning environment That's without right. any sort of reintroduction yeah. or or reconciliation. Mm-hmm. No that I'm thinking about the restorative practices matrix right now, and yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, and maybe we can put a link to that, right? And and it's basically this matrix that has, like, high accountability, you know, and running, high support. And high, support. Yep. Mm-hmm. And high accountability with, without support is, is when things happen to, to students. Yeah. High support without accountability is when you're doing things for them. Mm-hmm. Neither is negligence. And so this idea of high accountability mm-hmm. and high support mm-hmm. is when you're right is when things are happening with them, right? Yeah. And, and you're yeah. and you're teaching them how to yeah. be accountable yeah. Yeah. and how to have accountability. But but I think I think at times, again, coming back to power then, for me it was all the high accountability without much mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. was a way for me to to cling to power. This right. this is why for me I love the idea of student created norms in a classroom because even when you're setting the rules you're saying this is this is my community Mm -hmm. you will abide Mm -hmm. you will abide and i I don't again there's a time and place for that but what about how do you give how even again laying down I want us to set the norms in this classroom as a form right. of laying down. I'm giving this over to you. Like, let's let's do this together. And and when I was talking to Owen, who might lead our our who might who is going to lead our webinar, he at one time said, just even ask your students to fill in the blank. In this classroom, I want to be safe to fill in the blank. In this classroom, I want to be safe from mm-hmm. fill in the blank, and I love that idea yeah. of safe to safe to mm-hmm. and safe from. And I think just to get students to some way collect those, share those out, I think it's such a way, like even that we indicate a as a teacher, I want like I hear you, I see you, I want to know you, mm-hmm. and then collectively, hey. This is what is important to my friends in this classroom, right? right? right. Not just the teacher. I have, I have my peers. And again, it's sharing the power instead of one person controlling it, the teacher, yeah. or even one person controlling it, a, a student. We're saying this is how we, we want to walk together in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Friends, we know that your time is valuable and we want to thank you for joining us today for another Hallway Conversation. Whether it's this day, this week, or this month, we hope the Lord gives you what you stand in need of. And we want to send you from here with this blessing. So to our friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace. 
Amen. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We hope you have a wonderful week. This podcast was literally dreamed up during one of our actual hallway conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Hey, we have a favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to rate this podcast or write a review in your podcast app? Or if you found this conversation interesting or helpful, would you consider sharing it on your social media? Those things really do help podcasters out, and we would be so, so grateful. Thanks for listening, friends. I got to confess, though, I was kept thinking as a child of the 80s, I'm picturing He-Man, you know, huge oh, muscle bound, yeah. holding his sword aloft. Yeah. Oh, I have the power! Oh, you yeah, you did! Oh, <laughs> man. Wow, so good.